values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Another invitation to download the podcast. It's a very simple way to listen to the Mike Broomhead Show. The Mike Broomhead Show podcast is available right now. Never miss a minute of the show. And a big thank you to my friend Carol Royce, Carol Williams Realty East Valley. You can get a higher price selling your home and guaranteed offers at higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. So the shift to the conversation about the border. Um, I want you to hear the governor of of, uh, New York as she addresses the issue. And this is part of the reason I want you to listen carefully to what she's talking when she's talking about the migrants that are now in the state of New York, in the city of New York. And uh, this is what she's asking for. It's pretty interesting. We have been working almost hourly with the city of New York since the immigrants or the migrants started arriving. And it's something that we're working, first of all, to say that human beings should not be used as political pawns. Once they come here, they need a place to stay at transitional time, usually upwards of a week, in order to get you know their feet on the ground and to find a place to live. So this is just a temporary situation. But absolutely, we're working, we're working at the federal government as well. I've raised this with the White House, that this recalls for a federal solution. Let's look at federal facilities, federal staff to help supplement the city and the state is doing the same, trying to lend our support in site selections and making sure that you know this does not get out of control, that we can manage this uh, with the scale we have right now but also continuing to call on the White House to give us a hand. Isn't it interesting now that we are starting to see people in that political party go after the president and say, you need to help us here. Now, we did not hear one word about this. Now, I guess maybe they shouldn't have because it wasn't affecting them directly in this way. We've never heard of a Democrat mayor or a Democrat governor saying to the White House, you need to get a handle on this. And now we are because the problem is in their front yard, just like it's in ours. And this is what I keep going over this. I have had this conversation 20 times with people about this serious situation. And what I mean by that is we have, as a society, we have mixed illegal and legal immigration, and we've called everybody migrants. And I understand, and I, I, I believe in not being insulting or demeaning to people. I really do. I know that sounds silly to some people, but there's no reason to use language that's demeaning to someone. There are people that are coming here that are desperate. I agree with all of that. But there is a big difference between the people that do it the right way and the people that don't. And if we call everybody migrants, and it's all perspective, it's all on what you're looking at. I want you to put yourself in someone else's shoes for a moment. What if you are someone in this country from Afghanistan? You're someone in this country from a nation where we have an asylum agreement with, and we know that there are legitimate people, there are people out there legitimately seeking asylum in the U.S. And so they are now coming to the border. They're coming into the U.S. And they are being caught up in the exact same system with the people that know that they're gaming the system. People that are paying huge amounts of money to the cartels, being brought to this country, being told what to say. And to a to a federal agent that then gets them in the pipeline for asylum. And they may not know it. But most Americans know it that study the issue. The vast majority, it is a big majority of the people that are coming into the country and in the asylum pipeline are eventually denied. 
They do not have a legitimate asylum claim in the U.S. So many of these people are spending money they don't have. They are on the hook for money they can't repay. They stay in America for a limited amount of time. Sometimes it's years now, but many of them are turned around and sent back. They still owe the money. They still have to pay the money to these cartels. There, if there's anybody that's exploiting these people, it isn't the governors of Arizona, Texas, and Florida. It is the cartels that are do, is, is where the exploitation is happening. And I understand using language like migrants so as not to be insulting or demeaning. And I, I will tell you in principle I understand that. But you still have to make a distinction between illegal and legal migrants. You have to. And this situation is becoming so bad that these cities that deem themselves sanctuary cities now, let's let's remember that in, in their being uh, – in the idea that they are going to be kind and welcoming, we're a sanctuary city. Well, we don't necessarily want to be sanctuary cities in the border towns. They're forced into that by federal policy. And what you are getting is a small taste of what they live with every single day on the southern border. That's from an American perspective. The other side of this is when you hear the stories – of the abuse, sexual abuse and physical abuse that happens, that comes at the hands of the cartels and other people involved in this, how do we say that anything we're doing is humane? Because it isn't. So we've got a couple of million people in a year where there are interactions at the border. It is a record for everything. It's a record for people on the terror watch list. It's a record for encounters. It's a record, record, record of people coming here. And now there's this plan that was brought up, and I know many people don't like it, but look at the awareness. Now you've got a Democrat governor from the state of New York saying, I'm out reaching out to the White House. They've got to help us here. Now she's not saying, get them out of here. She's saying, you have to help us now. This is a federal issue. We need your help. We're building tents to put people in. Well, welcome to our world. It was so easy to criticize the administration with the previous administration and caged kids and all this stuff. It's just an evil hearted person that's ripping children out of the hands of parents. The same thing was happening, except the parents weren't coming during the Obama administration. And so if you look and you say, well, they're, and so I've heard this many times about the Biden administration. They're doing the best they can. Well, you don't give that same benefit of the doubt to other administrations and other parties. So now what you're seeing is Democrat governors and Democrat mayors doing the best they can. I'm not faulting them for that. They are overwhelmed. But now their eyes are open. Now their eyes are open to the problem that mayors on the border, that mayors on the border are dealing with and governors of states like Arizona and Texas have been dealing with for a long time. They're being criticized as being inhumane and racist and xenophobic and they're using people as political tools and ploys and all this other stuff. And now they're on your front door. They're in your front yard. And you're saying to the federal government, A, we need help. And B, we're doing the best we can. And I think the eyes are beginning to open. And I think it's important for the entire country to understand this. So the entire country says to this president, you have to change the policy. I keep hearing from people on social media. It was worse. It was worse before. It was just as bad before. And uh, two things. I'm going to leave it at this. Let's say, I don't believe it, but let's say it's just as bad now 
or just it was just as bad under the previous administration as it is under this administration. Two things. Number one, we elected this president, the American people collectively elected this president to do better, not to do the same. He said he'd do better. Remember that. And number two, you are admitting he's no better than the previous administration on this issue. Keep that in mind. It's something to keep in mind. In a moment, the Arizona Medical Association sues to restart abortions. And we'll talk about what happened on the show yesterday. All that's coming up in just a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, uh, there is a, a news story that came out yesterday. An abortion doctor and the American Medical Association have filed a lawsuit seeking to neutralize the state's territorial era anti-abortion law and allow physicians to restart the procedure in the state. So the ACLU and of Arizona and Perkins Coey, the law firm here in town, are, are filed a lawsuit to restart abortions and question this territorial law. Now, I am not a lawyer, so I don't know what their legal grounds are. I don't know if they'll be successful. I have no idea. And I've got my very strong opinions on abortion and this territorial law. So let me tell you where I come from with this. And I want to talk about something that happened on the show yesterday. Um, when we, as, as someone that is pro-life, I have argued for years with people and said the reason why Roe v. Wade, the reason why we need changes to our abortion laws and the reason why states should have rights to restrict and do the things that they do is because medical advancements have changed so much just since 1970. We are much better off than we were for the safety of a potential mother, for the safety of a child, all of it. Their lives, it, it is a lot safer to have a baby, and pregnancies become viable a lot sooner. The argument about the abortion has and always will be about when life begins. You can continue to say it's about a woman's right to choose, and I will tell you, I and I hope that the people that know me would back me up on this, even if they disagree with my stance. I respect the women in my life. I respect the women I work with. I respect the woman who raised me. I respect the women around me. This is not about me or wanting to or allowing anybody to control what you do with your body. This is about when human life begins. That's where this argument has always been. Because if human life doesn't begin until the baby is outside of the womb, then there are people that are right that are saying a mother should be able to choose anytime she wants before that child is born to abort that pregnancy. And if a child, if a human life begins at conception, then it deserves the exact same protections in the womb that it has outside of the womb. It's all about when life begins. So this 15-week ban in the one law here in Arizona is all about us recognizing that pregnancies are much more viable earlier now than they were in the 1970s. Therefore, the laws should reflect that, that once it's uh, whatever that 15 week threshold is, once we get to that point, most of us agree that, yes, that is a formed human life and deserves protection. You may not agree with it, but that's the stance. I say that because I will then say on the other side of that, how can I then in good conscience using that as my argument, say we're right to default to a law that goes back to our territorial days? That doesn't make sense. 
The legislature needs to get together and do something that is a law set in stone based on 21st century medicine and what should be done here. Doesn't mean I'm changing my stance on being pro-life. I am a pro-life person. Um, I think that we should be focusing a lot more on places that help women and give them alternatives such as carry a baby to term and give it up for adoption if you if you can't raise it. Carry a baby to term and we will help you raise it. We will give you the resources so that you can raise your child on your own. I would focus on those organizations were up to me. Yesterday on the show, we had gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake on with us, and um, I wanted to, I did ask her about abortion, and what she had to say about abortion was um, was a headline. It became a headline in a bunch of different places, and I will tell you um, how it went sideways. Not even going to talk about. I'm not going to put words in anyone's mouth, but I'll tell you this. I've known Carrie Lake for a long time, and there's no doubt that Carrie Lake is pro-life. No doubt. And so whatever happened, I, I had a, a bit of a conversation yesterday with her team and with her via text message. And I'm not I'll never give the details of private conversations, but I have offered for them to come on and, and talk about uh, where they stand and a clarification on what was stated. Um, being caught in the middle of this is no fun. You know, um, I, I don't I believe um, I believe that our news team does their best to be fair or at least to be accurate. And uh, and, and so uh, take it for what it's worth. Go back and listen to the interview yourself and what was said and what the context of it is. But in the end, when it comes to abortions, where Carrie Lake is right in what she said yesterday and what questions that fair is fair. If you're going to ask the Republican candidate, do you believe that the territorial law should be the law and there's no exceptions for rape and incest? Fair questions on the opposite side of this are when you talk to Katie Hobbs or other people on the other side of the aisle, they should be pushed on their stance on when they believe life begins. That way, people in Arizona can say this one's radical, this one isn't, or the other one's radical and this one isn't, or maybe they're both too far on the fringe. But those same questions, if this abortion issue is going to be such a serious issue for people, then you should be able to answer the question, when do you believe life begins? When do you believe that abortion should be illegal at what stage of pregnancy or any do you believe at all during pregnancy it should be restricted when and why that's a fair question and it's been asked of all the candidates and i asked it yesterday of carrie lake and she gave the answer she gave and there's been a bunch of fallout for it whether you agree that it's fair or unfair it's out there well the same questions need to be asked of the other candidate where does life begin do you believe that a mother should be able to have an abortion? And I don't want to be unfair by saying mother. Do you believe that a woman should be able to have an abortion up to the moment of birth? And if she says, no, I don't believe that, then the question is, well, then when? When's the cutoff in your mind? If this is that big of an issue, we all deserve clarification. We all deserve clarity on where the candidates stand on that issue. So um, it was it was an interesting interview yesterday. It was an interesting time. And, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. I, there's nothing I can do about it now. It is what it is. Coming up in a moment, we are going to go back to uh, the economy and talk about gas prices in Arizona as they continue to climb. How bad is it going to get? Well, we don't know that exactly. But what is happening? We'll talk about that coming up in just a few moments.
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. A couple of things I want you to hear about gas prices in Arizona. Garrett Archer, ABC 15, talking about gas prices here in the Valley. The average price now back above that threshold in many places. After a late summer break in prices, Phoenix stations are averaging back above $5 a gallon for regular. So where is this big wide gap from lowest to highest prices? Patrick DeHaan is an analyst at Gas Buddy, and he is saying that the difference between the lowest 10% of gas stations and the highest 10% is the most he has ever seen. Uh, 291 versus 617. That's a spread of over $3. Yeah, that's a big, big, uh, big gap. And so now this is the issue. What are par- part of the reasons why we are seeing such high gas prices here in Arizona? And the stock of gas at refineries exported to states like Arizona is also extremely low. Last week, the gasoline at uh, the gasoline stock at Southern California refineries had on hand was the lowest of the year, and that's 565,000 barrels right there. Arizona gets about 60% of its gas from Southern California, most of it going to Phoenix, for the, to the Phoenix area. So these shortages have pushed the average above $5 a gallon. That's a penny rise since yesterday, 50 cents higher than a week ago, and over a dollar for this same time last month. So we get our gas from the refineries in California. So there are a couple of issues, and I think we all we all know this, but the issues of involving the price of a gallon of gasoline involves the price of oil, which is based on demand, and demand is based on production versus need, obviously. So the OPEC nations have decided that they are going to drive down production to drive up the price of a barrel of oil. So they are intentionally raising the price of oil. Now, you're going to hear from the administration, we can't control that. We, we that's out of our control. There's nothing we can do about that. It's interesting that they didn't do it when gas was below three bucks a gallon for all four years of the previous administration. So, again, we can fight politically, but you got to look at results. So the trade off has been. This administration believes that the Trump administration was fast and loose with its regulatory uh, policies when it came to the fossil fuel industry, and it was detrimental to the planet. Where they allowed to drill, where when they were allowed to drill, financing, all of the things involved, they believed that it was reckless, that it was actually damaging to the planet. The promise was made. If elected, they would change all of that day one, and they did. That was what led to the increase in prices here in America, our reduced production. And now the other part of the price of a gallon of gasoline is refining it. So our refining capabilities are much different. And when you've got problems at refineries, it drives up prices. Well, why don't we just revamp and and build more refineries? Why don't we open up the other refineries that have been closed? Well, the answer is it's very simple, but it's also complex. But the simplistic answer is because the fossil fuel industry is being told that by 2035, they are going to be shut down, that we are the state of California will no longer allow gas powered vehicles to be sold in their in their state. Do you think you're going to you're going to be living like Mad Max if that happens? There won't be a gas station forever and people will be fighting over gasoline in, in, in their towns. It, it'll become it'll be like gold. When you transition, the transition of these things takes so much time when it's done the right way. Again, uh, going back to my youth, 
when there was leaded gasoline. There, gasoline had lead in it, and it was polluting the air, and you could see dark clouds over major cities. And then there was the development of unleaded gasoline and what catalytic converters are now used in cars for. And so the unleaded gasoline was a phase-in project where the automaker industries understood that there was going to be a transition of time. And the gasoline industry understood that there's going to be a transition of time. You would actually go to a gas station and choose where in places where they had self-serve. But in places where I grew up, I worked in a gas. I worked every I worked in all kinds of dumb jobs, but I worked at a gas station on the weekends for a while. I pumped gas. You would drive up at a full surface station and I would ask you leaded or unleaded gasoline. And then over time. The industries were told there is going to be a cutoff date decades from now or whatever that time frame was where there will no longer be leaded gasoline available. And older vehicles had to be retrofitted and had to be – but that's how it went. And we are seeing a full sprint to this change. And the reaction you're getting from the fossil fuel industry is we're not going to invest because – and let me give you the caveat first – You are probably invested in the oil companies. If you have a 401k or an IRA, if you don't specifically tell people, I don't want my money invested in this, a wise investor understands those are some of the areas where you invest your money. If you are a shareholder and they're responsible to do what's best for their shareholders, they are not going to invest billions of dollars in retrofitting and updating and upgrading their facilities or reopening facilities if they're being told in a few years you're going to be shut down again. They're not returning the investment to their to their investors. And so demonizing doesn't make any sense. Demonizing the fossil fuel industry, profiteering, and they are making record profits. They were making good profits under the Trump administration. Isn't it interesting? Don't you find it interesting for all of this big corporation, they call them banksters and the corporate barons and all this other stuff. They were making less money under the Trump administration than they are under the Biden administration, but somehow Trump's at fault for all the corporate greed that goes on. It's just, it, it is, it doesn't make sense. The very same oil barons and oil companies that were selling you gasoline for under $3 a gallon for over four years or for a four-year period who are now charging $5 a gallon or whatever it is ends up what they're selling it to the retailers for. And you think that it's the policies of this president have nothing to do with that. And that's my issue with it. The American people are hurting. They are going to continue to hurt until we stand up and do something and say you've got to do something to ease this for people instead of saying we don't control OPEC. Well, no, the problem is OPEC controls you and me. They dictate this and we're going to hurt. It's going to be it's going to be a painful winter. I guarantee that we're going to get you updated. The president of the United States visits. The damage from Hurricane Ian. He is there with Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, and also with the sheriff of Lee County. We're going to give you an update on Hurricane Ian coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. 
Hey, thanks for being here. Um, I, I uh, am very critical of things that I think are wrong, but I also want to give credit where credit's due sometimes. Uh, the president of the United States making a trip today to my hometown where I grew up. And it's, it's very strange because every time I say my hometown, I feel like I'm cheating on Phoenix, Arizona. This is my hometown. But I grew up in southwest Florida. My memories of my childhood, many of my childhood friends are suffering through the fallout of Hurricane Ian. Um, it is a devastated place right now. Uh, as a matter of fact, tomorrow, the sheriff of Lee County, which is where Fort Myers is, um, the sheriff of Lee County, Carmine Marcino, is, uh, Marcino is scheduled to be on the show tomorrow morning. That's obviously flexible because of what's going on. Uh, we tried to get the sheriff on today, but he wasn't able to because the president and the governor are in town and he'll be with them. But we'll get an update from the sheriff tomorrow. And as a side note, I want to say thank you to all of you that have reached out and have continued to reach out and are reaching out to us now, uh, to my family. It does mean a lot to us when you ask about how my family is doing. I just was answering some messages from people this morning still asking questions. Uh, my mother is here safely. She's in the air conditioning, having enjoying, hopefully enjoying her time here right now. Um, but I want to give credit. The president of the United States, as as politically polar opposites and, and very honestly contentious as the relationship – between Governor DeSantis and President Biden, be, that relationship is the president making his way to southwest Florida today. Uh, this is just a comment from the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, and uh, w- about this trip. There will be plenty of time to, dis- to plenty of time to discuss differences between the president and the governor. Uh, and but now is not the time. And at 100, 100 percent agreement. I never imagined I would say those words, um, but I agree with the White House press secretary. This is not the time for those disagreements. So what's going to happen on this trip? She was asked, what will the president do when in Florida? The president will meet with small business owners and local residents impacted by Ian and thank the federal, state and local officials working around the clock to provide life-saving assistance, restore power, distribute food and water, remove debris and begin rebuilding efforts. So to give you an idea of that piece of the puzzle that I'm familiar with, um, as most of you know, because I brag about him all the time, my brother is is my hero. He's my youngest brother, but he's always been the hero to me. And um, he is a captain with the sheriff's office and was in charge, was put in charge of the command center in the south half of Lee County. So it's broken into South District and North District. And so he oversaw the search and rescue from the command point of view. Uh, And and in addition to that, my brother is also the commander over the violent crimes unit, which encompasses uh, homicides, sexual assaults, things of that nature. And he mostly focuses on the detectives that investigate sexual assault cases, rapes and sexual assaults. And so Unfortunately, um, while you're focused on search and rescue, and there's so many elements to this, I've posted on social media pictures of my hometown and pictures of my brother's home and uh, the damage done on his street that his wife was left. And she's also a deputy that has to go back to work with kids in the house and my mom, no power, no running water for quite a while, trying to clean up. The branches and the things that have fallen, their fence blew away. So they're dealing with the same issues everybody else in southwest Florida is dealing with. But being first responders as they are, my brother has been deployed since a day and a half before the storm hit. And he is then home for a couple of hours at a time to sleep, and he's back out there doing his job. Not only doing his job in search and rescue, but there are still crimes, unfortunately, crimes that are committed. Um, The booking sheet for those four 
uh, dirtbags that went looting the other day, that booking sheet went across my brother's desk. He didn't do the arrest. He didn't write up the booking sheet, but he had to approve it. It went across, you know, so he's involved in, in thwarting crime, answering calls for patrol. Their people still have to investigate the sexual assault and violent crime cases that are going on because it continues with people like that. They don't become good people when things like this happen. Some of them get even worse. And then on top of that, they're trying to climb out from Hurricane Ian. So the president of the United States, whether you agree with the president or not politically, and maybe this is another aside that uh, I should leave alone, but I'm not going to. I've never understood people that say I'm not going to the White House because of who's there. I mean this sincerely. I don't agree with anything. If you listen to this show, you know I am very critical of this administration. But he's the elected president of the United States. And if I got an invitation from this president to go to the White House, I would be there tomorrow. I would go because it's my house. One of the most patriotic moments I shared ever that I ever experienced was at the State of the Union address one time when President Obama was delivering the State of the Union address and watching the Supreme Court be introduced into the building and watching the Senate be introduced into the House chamber and the pageantry of this of this Americanism and our, our form of government all working was an amazing experience to me. And so for all of those first responders that have sacrificed and been away from their families and for their families that have sacrificed them being away and for the hard work they're doing and and uncovering and treating bodies with respect, they deserve to be thanked by the president of the United States and the governor of their state. And it doesn't matter what political party you're from. So in this instance, I think it's amazing that the president of the United States, through the press secretary, is saying this is not a time for political division. This is a time where we stand up as Americans and we say thank you to the men and women that not only are trying to dig out themselves and their homes and their families, but they are also aiding everybody else in getting food and water and shelter and unfortunately recovering human remains. It is not easy. And so I'm glad the president's there. Again, we'll get an update from the sheriff of Lee County, I hope, tomorrow. Coming up in a moment, we go back to the topic of immigration because New York has changed its tune, but it's not just New York. What is the country saying? All that's coming up in a few moments.